when a person begins the path of renunciation and they, they hear that uh, you know, sensual pleasures are bad mm. therefore every pleasure a- any pleasure that it experienced is, is bad, bad. Yeah. if it's experienced to the eye it's a beautiful sight there's no there's no discernment of difference in the type of pleasure in the beginning. It's like that similar debate with them from Ajahn Nikaya. Mm-hmm. That first, you know, they debate, that they engage with sensual pleasures unwarily. Then the second herd realizes the danger of it <coughs> and then says no to all of it. <coughs> and then starves and then goes back and eats the bait again. So it's very similar when a person hears. <coughs> or sense restraint, sensuality is bad, then automatically, naturally, the mind just goes into the mode of, oh, okay, so any sense of pleasure of any kind, any agreeability, any comfort is bad, thus I might say no to. And that's, <coughs> that's unsustainable and ignoble because <coughs> now you're overly denying things. Sensuality is overly affirming, taking the bait, not just the food, and um, denying it so um, and then saying no to everything like that it's basically denying uh, overly denying it mm-hmm. so dismissing the food because of the bait all food all food because of the bait yeah. all sights all sights sun smell taste touches all of it <coughs> and and that's that's like what the buddha himself realized like wait why am i afraid of the pleasures that have nothing to do with sensuality, with central types of pleasures. So what if I, what if I were not to be afraid? And then he wasn't, and then he realized, okay, no, this is how you abandon sensuality. Not just to hold on to a view that any pleasure through senses is central pleasure, thus I can't help it, thus I'm justified in engaging with sensuality, or I'm justified in shunning the whole thing and denying everything. There is nothing in between. No, there is a lot in between, and that's the whole point. So, in the beginning, you might have to end up restraining overly, saying no to things that you don't necessarily have to say no to. The work is to discern what type of pleasure is the pleasure of sensuality, what type of pleasure uh, in relation to the senses is central pleasure, and what type of pleasure in relation to the senses is not central. Because for as long as you live, you will have the senses. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, so that's unavoidable. Um, so it's only a particular type of, of pleasure that is unwholesome, that is what comes under what we call sensuality, that must be abandoned, cut off at the root, and that whole thing. You'll never see that if you're refusing to stop dismissing the entire thing, or you'll never see that if you refuse to stop saying yes to the entire thing. Um, so, and the Buddha did describe in the suttas, he said, so what, is, what are the five codes of the sensual pleasure? He didn't say any sight, sound, smell, taste, touch that you find agreeable. He said the sight, sound, smell, taste, touches that you find agreeable, that are um, inducing lust, they're provocative of lust, of fever, of thirst. And you already know what those things are. You know, admiring a beautiful sunset, the opposite sensuality, it's not. That is agreeable sight, but will your mind be feverish with, with sexual lust and thirst and, or glutton on account of a sunset? Hunger, hunger on account of a sunset? No, inconceivable. 
would you be able to not sleep because you know you're so dependent on seeing sunsets or something or sitting in the forest no it's inconceivable so there is a difference there and that's the whole point you have to kind of resist like trying to dismiss the whole thing because it feels on oh, no, everything is bad or everything is fine and actually learn how to eat around the bait and not take the bait and that's that you know all the previous talks we were doing about you know, knowing where your motivation is rooted in the reason for your action uh, but all that all of that can help you to realize okay so you kind of already recognize the intention that is aimed at that type of pleasure that is provocative of lust even indirectly so you would start seeing more things that are related to that type of pleasure and being able to be more even more accurate in avoiding that and then cultivating pleasures that have nothing to do with sensuality such as pleasure of seclusion pleasure of remote dwellings that are far from actually physically pleasant or inducing of lust or something like that but they're actually they become they become very agreeable so for example uh, for example food you can eat food which makes you even more hungry you know like yeah. some certain yeah. fast food exactly like exactly you have to eat so that's like the type of sensuality that it's sort of like initially everything every food is sensual uh, but that is unavoidable so you would have to eat so what do you do do you just then eat completely that without any regard or do you make the effort to discern reasons for eating and that whole right contemplation this is healthy this exactly is so then you would you would start seeing that oh no yeah there is a food that you know i find agreeable but i don't necessarily fantasize about think about plan, spend hours of trying to get it would be upset if i don't get it also there is fever invo involved there yeah. like there's this proper dependence on experiencing a particular type of pleasure through the senses so it's like okay so i won't go for that food but if I have other food, I don't need to eat food that makes me disgusted and gagging, I want to vomit or something. That's equally ridiculous. The food that fills me up exactly. is healthy so for me. That's a pleasure. Health, find a, find a purpose, so that's agreeable. But it's not something that will obsess your mind and provoke lust in it for more and so on. So, so that's pretty much, it, it's quite an easy criteria. Or like, you know, I want to go out and stuff. Why? You ask yourself, what's the purpose? Ah, company, friends carelessness, distractions, all of these things will result in provocation of lust, aversion, indolence, distraction. So, you know, it will be, it will end in seeking unwholesome pleasures. Well, I want to go out because I just go on a quiet walk or something in a very agreeable park. Yes. That's not sensuality, that's agreeability. Mm -hmm. And actually, you, if you start discerning that, the clearer it becomes, you can, you can more, like, basically, you completely divert your actions, even your mind, from wanting to go into sensuality and just find things that are agreeable of non-lustful, provocative kind of fever and thirst. Like for example, those monks, they will go and live in the forests. You know, like when the Buddha said, even if a monk goes to the forest and his mind is just full of sensual thoughts and he's just sleeping and not doing anything, he's in the environment that is not uh, environment of the five codes of sensual pleasures beautiful forest not it's not it's not provocative of lust it's not provocative of the, so his mind will quiet down and he'll settle in and then mm -hmm. he'll start benefiting from that environment the other type of monk who is not his mind is not full of lust he's not sleepy he's diligent but he lives in the middle of the village well his mind will become basically provoked 
with lust and everything else because he lives in the environment that is filled with these five chords of sensual pleasure. He will be provoked. He will be provoked self. sooner or later. So, so you, you recognize that you use this type of pleasure of seclusion or renunciation uh, to, to overcome dependence of this particular provocative type of pleasure of senses, which is what sensuality is. And then later on, sure, you can develop even further of your samadhi and then completely surmount any dependence on any agreeability of the senses. But as long as you have the senses, till the body breaks apart, agreeable and disagreeable will be coming your way. But obviously you will neither be uh, you know, acting with lust towards agreeable or acting with aversion towards disagreeable if the mind is already developed to that point. So, so it's, it, it is actually quite important because like even many monks would just fall into that trap. You know, you take on vina rules, precepts, and then just no, or no, or no, no to everything. And, and then you're just doubling down and saying no to everything and winding yourself up. And then like it becomes unsustainable. And because, again, you're saying, you, you're trying to deny the presence of your senses. They are still seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching, things that are agreeable and disagreeable. But you don't see anything in between, so you're trying to like, get rid of the entire thing. And that's why it always results in that self-loathing, that patiga, that you know those monks were contemplating the 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 the, the body and the the kind of lost perspective in the suttas that was mentioned, because you are trying to 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 deny that which you don't need mm-hmm. to, and that's why it's becoming unwholesome now. But uh, I mean, it's a simile you gave by training an animal, training a dog. Mm. You can't be strangling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just suffocate to train it. it. Yeah. You need work. to take it pull, for pull it up, pull <laughs> it away. Uh, but actually, no. The Buddha did give that similar. Like, you, you, you have a cow. You pull it away from eating in other people's pastures, but you don't prevent it <coughs> eating here, because if you don't let it eat here, nor eat there, well, it's gonna die or try to, you know, completely run away from you. <laughs> so you lose your mind. <laughs> yeah. So it's like. But it's important to take responsibility for right away because, see, like now you could think, ah, okay, so I must allow some agreeability, thus I'm justified. It's like, well, you are justified in agreeability, but you're not justified if you don't see the line where agreeability is and where sensuality is. So you can have things that are agreeable that are not sensual, and you can't have sensual things that are not agreeable. So in other words, agreeability can exist without sensuality, Sensuality requires agreeability. So sensuality is like a particular type of agreeability. But if you actually remove dependence on that particular type that is provocative of lust and so on, you could just have agreeability of of seclusion, of the senses and so on, not be dependent on it, thus not fear, not be distraught, you know, when death or sickness and so on come your way. Or if if, if disagreeable things come your way, that won't bother you either. For example, like, I don't know, imagine you're... you're enclosed in a room with five windows through which you perceive things. So you just see things as they come in front of the windows. Sometimes pleasing things, sometimes displeasing things. And that's it. You're seated in a chair and you're just registering things. Ear, nose, eyes, and not, 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 nothing else there really. Like in scene, there is scene and so on. But if you don't see the difference, between the pleasure that is inducive of lust, that is trapping you, that is hooking you, that is making you for more, that is causing underlying tendency to crave for more, and so on, then when something agreeable of that particular kind, say something that would provoke that kind of uh, fever towards the sense object, 
feverish mind, oh, you wouldn't just be sitting, you're going to get up, you're going to lean through the window, you're going to try and get that thing closer, you're going to try and grab it, fix it there, make it not go anywhere else, stay within your field of view, possess it. And that's already completely. So you see, you forgot all the other windows now. You're leaning out into the sphere, pretty much, that's, that's not yours. So the point is, like, how much your mind moves on account of things that are agreeable and disagreeable, how much you're provoked by it, how much you, have, you cannot resist that pressure and you give in and you're just, just crawling out of the window trying to get that stuff. That's the danger of it. The beautiful things just remain in the world, as the Buddha would say. But it's that fever, that lust, that's why you are subjected to the danger. Because you expose yourself and account it. Now, imagine you recognize that. So you're still seated there. And now you see when a thing comes into the field of view through a window. And it's pressuring you to get up and go back the old ways. And you realize, oh, that's the danger of it. So I don't do that. So you restrain and you refuse to look through that window until that particular thing goes gone. Because you can't stay there all the time. Now there is something agreeable there that you can admire from your chair. Your mind doesn't need to get up. You don't need to start acting out of that pressure. You just stay on the chair. Oh look, it's a beautiful sunset. But I'm not crawling out of the window or losing perspective on everything else. And then that changes and you don't feel dejected because it's changed. Because now it's some horrible, ugly sight of, I don't know, rain, bad weather, cold. I don't know what it is. But, oh, okay, again, my mind is not moving from the chair. So regardless of the window you realize that, okay, if I can see, smell, taste, perceive these five senses without my mind moving, flipping over, perturbing, twisting, running towards, I can sustain it. If there is a pressure, a challenge, a provoke to give in and start tumbling down basically, you know, through that momentum of I gave in and now I can't stop, oh, that's the danger. I don't do that. So when something comes to provoke, to hook you, to bait you, that's okay, nope. I, I refuse to look until it disappears because it could result in this mind getting up and running and tripping over and falling out of the window and meeting death or deadly suffering. But that doesn't mean, oh, because I get hooked to these particular things that I see, I must block and board and destroy all these windows and never see anything again. Well, uh, you are still, you have to get off the chair. To block those windows but then you have to get yeah. off the chair to chase things away that are in front of the windows but you realize uh, that was the problem not what it was in front of the window that i could see the problem was that i was getting up on account yeah. of it the problem was that i wanted it so i got up or i didn't want it so i got up when the mind is completely 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 cooled down there is no basis of passion even the memories of passion to provoke mind to get up from that chair and you encounter things that used to provoke lust or aversion, and now you realize that moving on account of it is inconceivable because the mind has been so tamed, and that's the, and the Buddha said that, like, oh yeah, when Ananda asked him, um, so does the, uh, a mind that's enlightened, do they always live in the pleasure of enlightenment, or do they like calm down and kind of go back to normal, so to speak? No, the, the pleasure calms down, but then when that mind would encounter things that used to provoke lust, aversion, distraction, he would re-experience that pleasure of freedom because he would remind him of the freedom. Because mm -hmm. you would obviously, you would know the significance, the peril, the danger of each time, even in the past, you got off that chair and tried to get, you know, what provoked you or, or, or get rid of what provoked you. 
obviously fully understanding the danger will then enable you to not give in and get off the chair and it will then eventually calm you down and then because you haven't been feeding the passion there will be no more passion pressuring you so then you have these things they used to provoke you and you're absolutely motionless like there is absolutely no movement in the mind on account of it with the memory of how much you used to be controlled by that and that's like oh wow you look at the mind is truly free that's when when the monk would recognize that but if and if there's, there's something there's something that's not <coughs> provoking you that's something that is a calm mm. let's say you you realize that oh i can just eat plain porridge it doesn't make me more hungry i don't crave it i, I don't sustain, hate it either i don't hate it exactly I can sustain myself yeah. that if it goes it's no problem yeah. but yeah. isn't that wonderful and that's wonderful isn't that wonderful that I'm not it, it's wonderful because it's extremely practical yeah and practicality is very wonderful so you see the joy very nice that this thing is not provocative i'm not provocative. isn't it wonderful to just wear you know like patch ropes because yeah, you don't worry about it simple clothes yeah. very simple pr- serves the purpose uh lightweight easy to patch and you don't have to do anything in order to you know procure it or get it and nobody wants it nobody else wants it so it's like oh that's wonderful it's absolutely burdenless absolutely yeah. easy and that's that's pleasant and that's not sensuality generosity as well like that's why the Buddha would to the lay people <coughs> before he would teach them about the view he would like elevate gladden their mind with talks on generosity and rebirth and stuff as in good pleasure generosity is a good pleasure helping others is a good again even if you're not doing it for the purest of the reasons still helping others being generous giving it's actually a good type of pleasure that is beneficial for the mind because it's not the pleasure they will provoke lust thirst people's lives are controlled by thirst by fever of the mind of, uh, rooted in lust rooted in aversion rooted in distraction just on account of yes those few particular things that that provoke pleasure not the entire eye domain and sights just particular sight sounds smell taste touches yet that is the most important so basically that becomes the criteria mm-hmm. for a mind that's dependent on that sensual being uh, that becomes criteria for everything else and even if they could see the pleasure of seclusion the pleasure of generosity until they see the danger of the other type of pleasure that particular type of sensual pleasure that is the pleasure that controls the mind everything else will be secondary to that pleasure so yes it's 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 a very kind of it's a it's a narrow bait so to speak there is more of a non-bait around there are more things that are not beautiful in the world than things that are beautiful there are more ugly things than pretty things generally non-provocative there are exactly more things that are non-provocative but if you haven't understood that the the gratification the danger and the escape in regard to the provocative things that is your entire being kama bhava is the entire state of existence on account of those few baits few little hooks that you are constantly attached to and they drag you left and right and you see there is more of this but because you are not developed in regard to the these particular provocative pleasures you are in their control so you can't do anything about it until you fully understand and free yourself from that but yes the entire being needs to be uprooted because that entire being depends on getting off the chair to look at that which is very pressuringly beautiful getting off the chair to you know go and shout at that which is very pressuringly uh, averse but you only do <coughs> that you only get up because you don't 
see that as a danger. Right? Yeah, you don't see getting up as a danger. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. You, you're fully immersed with, the, with, the, with the, yeah. that particular chord of sensual pleasure. So I can, uh, I can sit, I can force myself to sit down. I mustn't yeah. get up. I and that's probably how you have to start. Sure. Yeah, you took it on faith that you shouldn't get up. Yeah. But I want to get up. But you want to get up. I but you are not getting up. Yeah. So that's the first step. That's the sense restraint. And because you're not getting up means you are not acting out. Of it. You're not you're not sustaining the habit of getting up. Yeah. So sooner or later, if you keep keep doing that, you're gonna start seeing more in a sense of ah, I haven't been getting up. Factually, the aggregate of virtue is there. I haven't been breaking the precepts. I was very pressured to do so and everything, but I haven't been doing it. And there is already increasing no, perspective. Already, yeah. Yeah. Ah. And then you you're already closer to see like right. So that was the problem. That was the trick. That was the bait. I mean, the bait. That was just to hook you. Yeah. But the bait can't come through the window and hook you out. You are the one who goes for it. And so what's the danger? Is the danger that there are hooks around? Or is the danger in the fact that you can't stop grabbing them? Oh, but if only there were no hooks, I wouldn't be grabbing them. Well, now you're even avoiding responsibility for grabbing the hooks. Yes, if there are only no Mara and Samsara, it would be great. But there are, there is, there are hooks, there is Samsara, there is sensuality. So what is the other thing that you could equally do that would free you from it? Oh, stop reaching for the hooks. Alright, so I have to take responsibility first for when I do reach for the hooks and not blame the hooks for my reaching. And then mm -hmm. calm down and then stop reaching and then see the freedom for myself. Well, can I... Can I stop reach? Can I understand the danger while while reaching? Right, right. Can I understand the can danger of reaching for a hook yeah. while at the same time are unable to resist reaching and stop hook, yeah. reaching from a hook? Well, means the fact that you are reaching for a hook means you're not seeing the danger. So that's the danger: getting up, putting yourself there, where then you you will be you will be uh, in control of it, not the other way around. And if you think, okay, so if I can remain on the chair and look at the things that are provocative of lust and thirst, that's impossible. So it's impossible to have perceptions of things that are sensual pleasures mm -hmm. uh, without perverting that order and putting that first eye without getting out of the chair. Because the fact is, again, you might not be getting out of the chair, but the view, the, the sights, the, per, uh, the perceptions are pressuring you, and you don't see where the problem is because you're still looking. <laughs> yes, yes, the problem. If you realize yes. where the problem is, you will automatically stop looking. Ah, right. The problem is in the mind that wants to go there. So, why would I be uh, provoking this rabid dog that can harm me, that I'm paired with? instead of calming it there is something provocative that can result in you know ripping my arm off when it when it charges for it why would i even do that unless i don't see the danger of a provoked dog which is what my mind is so that's when people think they can engage with sensuality mindfully impossible it means there's already no perspective if you choose to engage and even if it's to that this or oh, i'll just let it look i won't engage physically or verbally but mentally i'll think about that's what I said. Physically withdrawn, 
uh, speech purified and mentally he does not engage with he doesn't uh, uh, accept welcome entertain thoughts of sensuality because that would be the equivalent of being strapped to a rabid mad animal that is calm and then you show it things that are making it even more rabid and mad while you're strapped to it so yeah I can hold it for now but the point will come when my grip will loosen or something and then that animal will not remember me mm. it's gonna just go wild people don't realize that their mind has the mind of its own so your mind has a mind of its own doesn't matter your sense of ownership my mind my mind the truth is that mind it's basically on its own I'm subjected to it so that's the recognition of seeing the sign of the mind as something that is not yours that you are paired with a chitanimita we often mention it's like being able to see the mind on its own and then okay so it's not really like no but I should be able to, to look at this without being pressured it's not up to you the mind has a mind of, of its own that if it sees these things it will go for it if it doesn't see it will calm down and that's now your wisdom okay so I won't let it look through that window until things clear out there oh look now it's some pleasant sights they will calm me down yes look because it's not then feeling like completely you know suffocated he can't look at anything no no you can look at things that are not provocative of lust aversion distraction indolence uh, pressure to break the precepts all of that and you you know that it's it's, it's very obvious what those things are but it takes that faith just that that first attempt of just okay let me give it a go for a while at restraint well yeah of course let I me mean none of this would make sense if a person doesn't want to do it if a person just is content with the view that everything is sensuality or nothing is sensuality in other words you can do whatever you want or you shouldn't be doing anything because everything is bad any type of pleasure is bad any type of comfort is bad any type of agreeability is bad but then obviously how about the thought that everything is bad they don't find that to be a bad thing because they're very much gripped by it and fully you know live their life under it yet that thought is very agreeable to them yeah, ev or everything so is you good. still you do accept agreeability then which contradicts your own view that any agreeability should not be accepted so why are you then accepting the agreeability of the view that any agreeability should not be accepted that surely must be agreeable to you otherwise you would not be able to hold that view so it's a contradiction in terms sensuality is a contradiction in terms denial of sensuality denial of debate shunning everything is also contradiction in terms saying, saying yes to everything or saying no to everything yeah. except saying no to everything so seeing the middle way it's is the way out so learning what debate is learning what the five codes of sensual pleasure is it's not all sight sounds smell taste touches what it's is the five feverish exactly senses. it's those that are provocative of lust provocative of aversion provocative of loss of perspective it's the you feel that pressure you feel that impulse okay that's why this is unwholesome not because of this or that so you start seeing where the problem is so that's again pleasure of seclusion pleasure of remote dwellings pleasure of renunciation like pleasure of simple life pleasure of non-distraction all those are pleasures still they come through sight sound smell taste touches <coughs> I mean how would you have a pleasure of seclusion unless you're perceiving this beautifully secluded forest free of other people you are seeing things and that's exactly why people would confuse they, they would think oh well that's sensuality as well because they would think that any pleasure that comes through eyes means sensuality 
No, mm. if there is no pressure, if there is no if there is no loss, loss of perspective and lust, that is that pleasure you don't need to fear because you're not losing perspective in regard to it. And that's how you can disown it. But in order to disown it, you need to first stop resisting it or stop indulging it. You need to stop getting out of the chair. So you need to calm your mind and then recognize that, okay, this agreeable pleasure has been now for a while replacing my need for the, you know, the provocative pleasures. I haven't been engaging with sensuality because I've been developing pleasure of seclusion and my mind has calmed down as a result of it. My mind is not getting out of the chair, not trying to, to, to leap out of the window. And now, within that, you can disown that wholesome pleasure. Not get rid of it. Oh, I must go to the city in order to disown the pleasure of seclusion. No, 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 no. While you're in the pleasure of seclusion, you actually get to see that it's the senses pleasure and you have nothing to do with it and you don't depend on it, you don't need it. And you can see all those things because there's no lust underlying it. And you can't see all those things in regard to the five chords of sensual pleasure because there is lust underlying it. There is lust constricting the perspective. There is aversion constricting the perspective or distraction. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the pleasure of jhana. And, well, the pleasure that you get before jhana, which is, which is why the Buddha said, Oh, why am I fearing these pleasures that have nothing to do with five chords of sensual pleasure? What if I let them be? He let them be. The mind became very peaceful, very pliable. The dog became very obedient. Because you stop choking it. And now you are the one. So no, you don't look at that because that will provoke you. You can look at this because that will calm you down. You don't go there because that will induce more. You go over there because that will reduce more. Make things clear. Yeah. And becomes clearer for you hmm. then basically what mind is, what mind owns, and that's how you free yourself from it. From any ownership, any misconceiving of ownership and so on. Yeah, uh, yeah protecting the, the senses yeah, guarding the senses protecting not, the not senses not like restraint it does maybe sound it has to harsh, start with restraint because as I said although you can think this theoretically everybody starts by already being dependent on, on, the, on that five codes of sensual pleasure so everybody starts with that proliferated sensuality in other words sensuality is first agreeable things that are sometimes sensual uh, sometimes sensual sometimes not they don't see that Everything is basically seen sensual because that's the framework of the view, the dependence. So the sense restraint and withdrawal needs to come first. But then yes, once you recognize, start seeing the signs of your own mind, seated in the chair, start seeing the choices to make whether you want to leap out of the window or restrain, that already becomes on the level of guarding the senses. Like I guard it, so it means I only act when necessary. Oh, 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 no, come back. Mm. But I, guarding does not mean I'm just constantly holding it in a chokehold or something. Yeah, protecting. Just yeah, protecting. Kind of oh, oh, don't look at that. Don't go too far. Yeah. Come here, but allowing it to move about. Yeah. And that's how then you get to learn about that mind. Because you're not letting it run free when you can't see anything because you just dragged around with it. And you're not trying to kill it either by preventing it to be alive, basically. Mm -hmm. And then you get to see mind as a life of its own eyes have a life of its own so in seen there's just the seen in heard in thought there's just the thought none of that's mine none of that is misconceived is mine none of that is owned 
and then that's it then mind's free then those things they used to provoke lust and those habits of that becomes even more inconceivable but in order to reach that state basically you need to find pleasures that are not of the provocative kind pleasure seclusion pleasure renunciation and so on